Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Cowden this week, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, the leader of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Mike Bickle, has been accused of sexual abuse spanning decades. Also, Grand Canyon University, the largest Christian university in the United States, is facing record fines after a federal probe claims the school lied to students about the cost of degrees. And we have our monthly list. It's the largest Christian ministries in the U.S. We begin today with news that Kennecook Camps is suing its insurer over breach of contract. Kennecook Camps is suing Ace American Insurance Company for breach of contract and fiduciary duty and for bad faith refusal to defend Kennecook over the lawsuit brought against the camp by a sexual abuse victim. Kennecook alleges the insurance carrier withheld information from victims and threatened to deny coverage to the camp during the years immediately following the sexual abuse scandal. Logan Yandell is a Kennecook camp sexual abuse victim. He filed a lawsuit against the camp in November of 2022. The lawsuit asserts a fraud claim against Kennecook Ministries, Kennecook Heritage, and Joe White, the president of Kennecook. In 2010, Yandell agreed to a settlement for an undisclosed amount and signed a non-disclosure agreement. But now he claims those were based on false and fraudulent representations by the Kennecook defendants. Yandel said Kennecook represented to him that it had no prior knowledge of any sexual misconduct by Pete Newman, the person who committed the sex abuse. Now Kennecook has filed a cross claim against Ace American Insurance because it says that Ace was the camp's liability insurer during the years of Yandel's abuse and that it was Ace who orchestrated, directed, and assumed complete control over the negotiation and settlement of plaintiff Yandel's claims. Kennecook alleges that Ace knew about Newman's sexual misconduct, yet misrepresented to Yandel that it had no such knowledge. Kennecook asserts it did not instruct Ace to withhold knowledge of Newman's misconduct. Elizabeth Carlock Phillips has been an outspoken critic of Kennecook Camps. She said that this new cross-suit is nothing more than an attempt by Kennecook to shift blame for what she calls Kennecook's fraud. She told Ministry Watch, in my eyes, they all lied and should be held accountable. Our next story involves a well-known charismatic leader, who founded the International House of Prayer Movement. Mike Bickle is the founder of what is sometimes called IHOP Kansas City. Uh, He's been accused of serious allegations, including sexual immorality. Details about abuse claims have not been provided to the public, but according to reporting by the Kansas City Star, the allegations involved serious sexual abuse that spanned decades. Three former leaders at High Hop Kansas City made the 
current ministry leadership aware of the allegations, adding that the group found the allegations of clergy sexual abuse by Mike Bickle to be credible and longstanding. Uh, the leadership of IHOP KC issued a statement on Saturday, and it said in part, the credibility of these allegations is not based on any one experience or any one victim, but on the collective and corroborating testimony of the experiences of several victims. The former leaders claim they attempted to confront Bickle with one victim's allegations before approaching the IHOP Kansas City leadership team. However, in a statement, they said that they were repeatedly rebuffed by Mike Bickle and were refused any sort of a meeting. Instead, they said Mike used manipulating and intimidating tactics toward the victims to isolate them and discredit them. The three claimed to be shocked by the allegations. These allegations seem to be out of character to the man we thought we knew, but they were so serious that we could not ignore them. Bickle has been asked and has agreed not to preach or teach at IHOP Kansas City to engage in its 24-hour prayer room or to post on his social media while they work with outside parties to assess the situation. IHOP Kansas City was founded in 1999 by Bickle after he broke away from the Vineyard Church movement following a conflict with that denomination's leaders. Bickle's theology emphasizes fasting, prophetic experiences, and end times studies, and it's been associated with what has been called the New Apostolic Reformation movement. Over the course of its history, IHOP Kansas City has faced a variety of controversies that some of which we've reported on here at Ministry Watch. For example, the most serious was the mysterious death of an intern at IHOP Kansas City. Her name was Bethany Deaton. She was found dead in the backseat of a van with a plastic bag tied over her head and an empty bottle of acetaminophen nearby. The death was initially ruled a suicide, but later an IHOP student admitted to killing her. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take a break. It's a story coming out of Hillsdale College. Yeah, one present and one former student at Hillsdale College have uh, filed a federal lawsuit alleging that Hillsdale failed to adequately investigate their claims of rape and misrepresented how safe that they would be on campus. These, this, by the way, is according to reporting from USA Today newspaper. The students are Grace Chen and Danielle Villarreal. They filed the lawsuit in U the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Michigan on October 25th. The lawsuit states that Hillsdale College has deliberately fostered a campus environment that exposes students to an unacceptable and unusually high risk of sexual assault. Chen is a current Hillsdale junior and track athlete, and she claims she was raped by a fellow athlete in November 2021, and that's when she was a freshman. She alleges she reported the assault to the proper college authorities, but they failed to adequately investigate it. And then she was also not provided with a written report of the investigation findings. 
Villarreal is a former Hillsdale student, and she claims that she was raped by a fellow student in August of 2021. She says that she reported the rape to police and sought support from Hillsdale, but says that she was instead blamed for the rape and threatened. Villarreal subsequently withdrew from Hillsdale, but sought treatment to deal with the consequences of the rape and the lack of response by Hillsdale. She eventually transferred to Vanderbilt University. Hillsdale is a private college in Western Michigan, and it does not accept federal dollars. And that means it's exempt from federal Department of Education Title IX regulations regarding sexual assault and other forms of sexual violence. Now, Hillsdale is not a Christian college per se. It doesn't require that either faculty or students make uh, a profession of faith or sign any sort of statement of faith by the school. However, its conservatism has made it popular with evangelical families and donors. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, news from the Southern Baptist Convention and Grand Canyon University gets hit with a record fine. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we have an update on the ongoing troubles at the Southern Baptist Convention. That's right. Abuse survivors, along with some members of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee and the SBC's Abuse Reform Task Force, have denounced a Kentucky court filing by Southern Baptist entities aimed at limiting the SBC's liability for sexual abuse claims. A brief that was filed earlier this year by lawyers for the executive committee, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Lifeway, which is the Southern Baptist Convention's publisher, argues that a Kentucky law that changed the statute of limitations for making civil claims over abuse and allowing survivors to sue third parties, such as churches or the police, should not be applied retroactively. Now, since then, abuse survivors have been reacting with a statement of their own that they released last week. There are no mincing of words here, the statement said. No holding back. 
This is disgusting. The survivors were Megan Lively, Jules Woodson, and Tiffany Thigpen. And as you said, Christina, they released their statement on Wednesday, October 25th. A group of Southern Baptist leaders working on abuse reforms also criticized the brief, saying that the filing was a choice to stand against every survivor in Kentucky. The statement went on to say this brief and the policy arguments made in it were made without our knowledge and without our approval. Moreover, they do not represent our values and positions. Members of the executive committee, including Oklahoma pastor Mike Keobone, expressed dismay at the brief, saying that he and other members of the committee had been blindsided by it. Now, Keobone is a member of a task force implementing abuse reforms in the SBC, And he said that the brief undermined survivors who had up until now been supportive of SBC reforms. That's right. He told Religion News Service that there were survivors that have been faithful to give us a chance and we hurt them badly. Now, this controversy over the amicus brief is just the latest crisis for leaders in the SBC, which is the nation's largest Protestant denomination. They've had to deal with sort of a revolving door of leadership and rising legal costs in the aftermath of the sexual abuse crisis of the last few years. The denomination passed abuse reforms in 2022, but they've been slow to implement those reforms, relying mostly on a volunteer task force charged with convincing the SBC's 47,000 congregations and a host of state and national entities to put those reforms into practice. Those delays have led survivors to be skeptical that things would actually change. And Warren, we have another story related to this legal brief. We do. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention president, Bart Barber, uh, released a statement early on Monday morning of this week saying that he takes full responsibility for that amicus brief that was submitted to the Kentucky Supreme Court. Barber went on to explain that while he initially did not remember signing off on the brief, he went back through his emails over the weekend and discovered that he had done just that. This is my doing, he said. I proved it. I take full responsibility for the SBC having joined this brief. He then expressed disappointment with himself. Barber admitted that his actions ended up hurting survivors and that although his determination to advance abuse reforms in the SBC is no less than when he began, he understands that his credibility with survivors has been harmed by this, perhaps irreparably, he said. In conclusion, Barber asked for prayer saying, I'm counting on your prayers, and I am counting on wisdom from above. I hope that I learn a little from every mistake that I make, and I hope that those of you who are angry with me today can find it in your hearts to forgive me. Our next story is out of Arizona, where Grand Canyon University is located. It faces a record fine after a federal probe into an alleged deception at the school. Grand Canyon University is the nation's largest Christian university, and it's being fined uh, over $37 million by the federal government amid accusations that it misled students about the cost of its graduate programs. Grand Canyon University has more than 100,000 students, mostly in online programs, and it faces the largest fine ever issued by the U.S. Department of Education. Now, Warren, the university is denying these charges. 
It sure is. In fact, Grand Canyon uh, issued a statement in which it said that we categorically deny every accusation in the Department of Education statement and will take all manners necessary to defend uh, itself from these false accusations. It was a five-page statement, and by the way, we have a link to the complete statement on uh, our story, which is the Ministry Watch website. An Education Department investigation found that Grand Canyon lied to more than 7,500 current and former students about the cost of its doctoral program. As far back as 2017, the university told students that its doctoral programs would cost somewhere between forty dollars and $49,000. The Department of Education, though, found that less than 2% of graduates actually completed programs within that range, with 78% paying an additional $10,000 to $12,000. Uh, Richard Cordray is the chief operating officer for the federal student aid and office in the Department of Education. And he said this, GCU's lies harmed students, broke their trust and led to unexpectedly high levels of student debt. Today, we are holding GCU accountable for its actions, protecting students and taxpayers and upholding the integrity of the federal student aid programs. Now, Grand Canyon University University, as I said, has protested this. They haven't paid the fine yet. In fact, they have 20 days to appeal the fine. The department is also adding new conditions that the school must meet to receive federal money in the future. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. Um, To start with, it's a new month, which means we have a new list. So tell us about it. That's right. This month, we posted our list of the largest Christian ministries in the United States. We have uh, included every ministry on this list that has more than $100 million in revenue. That's a list of approximately 45 ministries. Now, I want to note that 
this list does not include colleges and universities. Otherwise, they would just dominate the top of this list. We published the list of the largest colleges and universities earlier this year. And once again, you can also find that at the Ministry Watch website. I should add to Christina that these 45 ministries represent about $14 billion in annual revenue. And there are some notable changes on this list compared with last year. Yeah, and that's unusual because, you know, these ministries are so big and there's usually a lot of space between them. Uh, We don't often see that much movement from year to year. This year, though, Samaritan's Purse grew dramatically by more than $400 million in a single year, and that moved it from number four to number two on the list. Other big movers on this year's list include Mercy Ships, which added about $100 million in revenue and jumped from number 35 to number 17. Also, Waterstone, which is a foundation that helps uh, donors dispose of or donate, I should say, uh, non-cash assets like real estate and other things, and the Children's Hunger Fund, which came in at number 23 this year. Also, Young Life is worth a special note. It sure is. Uh, Though it moved up only a few spots, it added more than $110 million in revenue in a single year. Uh, That allowed it to leapfrog Habitat for Humanity, Convoy of Hope, and some other really large organizations. There are also several new organizations on the list, organizations that for the first time went over $100 million in revenue. They include Church World Service, In Touch Ministries, World Relief, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, Turning Point for God, which a lot of people might not recognize that name, but that's David Jeremiah's uh, teaching and preaching ministry, Alliance Defending Freedom, and Charity Water. Now, we also have another list worth mentioning, and that is our top 10 stories of the month. That's right. If you're new to our website or if you haven't been back to the website in a while, the top 10 stories of the month, uh, in this case, of course, the month of October, is a great way to kind of bring yourself up to speed on what the biggest stories are for the month. And this month's list includes stories about Andy Stanley, uh, Tommy Nelson, the pastor of Denton Bible Church in the northern suburbs of Dallas, and Liberty University. And our most read story from last month was an article detailing the history of embattled pastor Mark Driscoll. You can find this list by going to the Ministry Watch website. It's right on the front page. Now, moving on, who is in our ministry spotlight this week? One for Israel is the ministry that we've highlighted this week. It began in 1990. It's headquartered in Israel, and it started out as a Bible college and seminary. It was known as Israel College of the Bible for many years. It was the only accredited evangelical Hebrew-speaking seminary in the world. It's uh, one of the top-rated ministries in our database as well. It gets a donor confidence score of 97 out of 100, five stars out of five stars in terms of financial efficiency, and an A transparency grade. And then who did we highlight in our ministries making a difference? 
Well, when you say we, Christina, that means you. So I will uh, uh, just share that uh, the ministries that you found for us this week include the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is celebrating a record-breaking year of summer camps worldwide. More than 110,000 campers participated in more than 1,000 FCA camps around the globe this year. And by the way, FCA is another very highly rated ministry in our database, 92 out of 100 donor confidence score and an A transparency grade. And I kind of at the other end of the spectrum in terms of size, I wanted to mention the Block Cares, which is a nonprofit affiliate of the Block Church in Philadelphia. It's connecting with inner city youth through practical hands-on projects such as building a playground for an elementary school, which it dedicated in August of this year, and mentoring high school students. The Block Cares also collaborates with other local ministries and nonprofits to help invest in youth, such as hosting a family painting night and teaching students about health and nutrition through cooking classes. It's really the kind of grassroots, uh, community-based organization that I think really makes America great. And I'm delighted, Christina, that you found it, and uh, we highlighted it this week. And I should uh, also mention that we have news from Every Generation Ministries and Children of the Nations. To see news about all of these ministries that we just mentioned, go to ministrywatch.com. Look for Christina Dardell's Ministries Making a Difference column. You should be able to find it right on the front page. Warren, any final thoughts before we go? Well, I did want to mention to our listeners that we're entering the most critical time of the year for Christian ministries, including Ministry Watch, of course, when it comes to fundraising. We need to raise about a quarter of our budget. That's about $110,000 before the end of the year this year. And we're not alone. Some ministries raise as much as 30 to 40% of their annual budgets in the last 60 days of the year. Now, if you'd like to help us reach our year-end goal, of course, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. But whether you give to us or not, we hope that you will use our database to help you make giving decisions. The database can be found by going to ministrywatch.com and hitting the bright red Ministry Watch 1000 uh, button at the top of the page. You can find profiles of more than a thousand Christian ministries. We hope that you will look at those profiles and they'll help you give wisely and generously during this year-end season. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen Dubarry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Stedeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Bob Smetana, Jesse Jackson, Rod Pitzer, and Colin Finkley. A special thanks to church leaders for contributing material for this week's program. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.